0: There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry, those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your Freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties they're eager to share their stories and best practices with you i'm your host james jenkins welcome to agency freedom podcast let's go episode seven thanks for joining us everyone i am your host james jenkins this is the agency freedom podcast where we take our listeners From captive to indie to market domination, we are finishing up our foundational series of episodes with this episode, episode seven. We're going to be talking about internal and moral threats, moral concerns uh, for our agency as agency owners, as sales professionals. We're going to identify some things that you need to be aware of as you are either making your freedom jump or finding your feet or taking it to the next level and capturing greater market share uh, in your area, in your niche. Before we get started, the same three requests that I always have. Uh, The first is on whatever platform you choose to listen to AFP, please subscribe to our podcast that helps drive the algorithm and make it easier for the general public and other people in the industry to find us. Second is leave a review if you like what you hear. If you're getting some value, please leave that review. It takes 30 seconds and is a big help to us, again, for reach. Third and most important, please share this podcast with someone in your circle that you think would benefit from the information that we're sharing here. As we wrap up our foundational episodes Uh, We're putting a little bow on top here with the last two internal and moral threats and concerns. Beginning next week, uh, we are going to start off the interview series, which will be the bulk of the podcast over a long period of time. I don't have a set run planned for Agency Freedom Podcast. This may end up being you know, 50 episodes, it could be 100 or however many it ends up being. This is, as far as I'm concerned, an indefinite run. Uh, but these first seven episodes are covering the 12 areas that we need to be mindful of. And as we'll see here in just a moment when we jump into the content, uh, there's been a thread through these seven episodes. It was not an accident, as we will discuss uh, here in just a moment or two. So... If you want to get a copy of my episode notes, make it easier for you to put these things in action in your agency, just visit our website, agencyfreedompodcast.com. Sign up for our email list, and every Friday morning around 6 a.m. Central, you will get an email from me with our episode notes. Any resources, links that are referenced in this episode will be dropped into a one-page, excuse me, three-page PDF uh, that I fill in with all of my episode notes and key action items, no more than five total Uh, for each episode and as we get into the interviews uh, this will become even more useful because it will have the contact information for the uh, for the interview person uh, so you can get with them later if you want to engage in communication with the person that's being interviewed or go to their website learn from them and their resources etc so If you have any feedback for us, ideas, critique, criticism, whatever you want to communicate, go ahead and email us at podcast at riskwell.com. That's podcast at riskwell.com. I personally read every email that comes in. So if you want to communicate positive or negative, I'm all ears for that. Let's jump now into the content of the episode, Episode 7, Internal and Moral Concerns. When we look at internal concerns, we're really going to be addressing uh, three things, uh, three areas, which we'll get into here in a moment, people, processes, and production, but in a general sense, in a concept level, it's very important that we as agency owners and sales professionals are practicing what we preach. When we're talking to our clients, whether they are personal or business clients, we are constantly encouraging them to make good decisions and practice good risk management, sound principles as a basis for decision making. And it is so incredibly important that we are not unintentionally a bunch of hypocrites when it comes to these topics because so often it is easy for us to skip the very same things that we're talking about with our clients in our own office. It's kind of like the whole doctors make the worst patient sort of thing. Because if you are anything like me, sometimes you're just moving too fast for your own good. You are going at such a pace that it can be difficult to keep track of the very concepts the very topics, the very action items that we stress day in and day out with our clients. So as we discuss the internal concerns, I want to make sure that we are all on the same page, that this, for the most part, is nothing more than us practicing exactly what we talk about with our clients. The uh, the things that we've talked about in the last seven episodes, uh, going from Uh, Episode two with operational, going through the other topics, social, technological, contractual, physical, innovational, financial, environmental, legal, regulatory, and this episode, internal and moral threats and concerns. These same 12 topics we need to be practicing in our office And that really looks different for each individual office based on where you are in the life cycle of your agency. If you haven't even started yet, then kudos for you. I'm glad that you are getting this information at the beginning or even before the beginning of making your freedom jump and going into the independent side of insurance. Because when I owned a farmer's agency... There was a lot of these things that I failed to do, uh, to be vulnerable. Uh, there's a lot of mistakes that I made. Uh, part of the reason for me putting the effort, the energy into this podcast is to give back to my colleagues and hope that there's someone listening here that's going to be able to put these things into practice and avoid the pain, the cost, uh, uh, the mistakes that I made earlier in my career. And let's be honest, I continue to make plenty of mistakes. Uh, I'm not sitting here recording a podcast as someone who's got it all figured out. I think uh, as part of the appeal of this podcast is that I am someone who is just like you in the sense that I wake up every morning, I go to the office, and I put in the work in the marketplace with my team, with my clients, with my channel partners. I'm trying to make this happen just like you are. I'm not someone uh, sitting here in my big cushy chair barking instructions and trying to uh, encourage people and coach people from the sidelines. I'm, I'm right there in the game with you. So, when we look at the uh, the internal side of these concerns, it really starts with having something in place where you can conduct internal audits of everything that we've talked about. People, processes, and production, aka money. Uh, we can do this on an annual basis. We can do it quarterly. Uh, to a smaller degree, we do it weekly uh, with the team meetings Uh, Depending on how complex your organizational chart is, how many people on your team, you may be having a leadership meeting and then each department having a departmental meeting uh, at the same time, or not necessarily the same minutes, but in the same week, there is a leadership meeting as well as departmental regular meetings. We haven't talked about it in a few episodes, so it's a great time for me to remind you uh, that the basis for a lot of these um, chunks uh, of stuff is the EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System. At my office here at RiskWell, uh, we have been practicing the EOS uh, for the most part. There are some things that we skip because it's not relevant for us, and we've never hired one of their implementation coaches. So I can't speak to that side of the EOS Model, but I have all five of the books. I think there's five, Uh, and we have done our best to implement a lot of these concepts, like the VTO, the Vision Traction Organizer, as well as the L10. Which level 10 uh, is, is what L10 is short for. It is the weekly meeting and the basic framework of what that looks like. A lot of things you'll hear come out of my mouth like uh, the GWC gets it once it has the capacity to get it done from looking at your team to the concept of right people, right seats. A lot of those language um, comes from the EOS model. So we really need to be mindful of conducting something regular. Uh, everyone that I know that's very successful has an annual uh, review, a strategic planning, offsite meeting, or something along those lines. Whatever that looks like for you, uh, it's probably something big and uh, complex on an annual basis with smaller, maybe half-day uh, retreats with your key people on a quarterly basis and then breaking it down as needed on a monthly and weekly to make sure that all necessary items uh, and, and concerns are being addressed in a timely fashion. So what it looks like for us is sitting down on once a quarter and addressing uh, these 12 items that we have talked about in the last seven episodes, operational, Social, technological, contractual, physical, innovational, financial, environmental, legal, regulatory, internal, moral. You're getting tired of me saying them, but the reality of your office is that all 12 of these items are going to be very relevant from one time or Another, But we need to be mindful of all of them. Even if you use different language, you choose different words. These 12 areas, in my professional opinion, run the gambit of all of the categories of challenges that you are going to face. So when we are conducting a regular detailed threat assessment and making plans in our office, uh, we've used the term SERP critical incident response plan um, several times in previous episodes. If we are conducting a thorough threat analysis and a SERP for the likely outcomes of these things, we're going to be a lot better positioned to, to avoid a nasty headache in one of these areas. So now as a quick Aside, I couldn't figure out where to stick this into previous episodes, um, so it just is coming in here in episode seven. The process that we have gone through with uh, the last seven episodes and 12 subject matter areas as a, a sales technique, as a way of delivering real value to your client. It's probably going to be a commercial client because personal lines clients, unless they are high net worth and are very complex, probably don't face a lot of these concerns. But the commercial, the business owner client most certainly does almost regardless of the vertical. And if you're dealing with a prospect that is large enough to warrant Extra attention, extra time and energy for you to try to win them and certainly to try to keep them after you've already won them. In those situations, it's going to be a great idea for you to conduct these 12 Areas uh, of a threat assessment for your commercial client. For each category, you're going to analyze uh, their business from the context of that category, operational, social, technological, dot, dot, dot. And you're going to give them very specific information regarding the threat level, the source of the threat, the potential negative impact to their business, And here's the two things, the two action items that I want you to be very mindful of when you're having this conversation with your commercial prospect is you first want to give them recommended action outside of the insurance world so they can mitigate that threat. It might be something as simple as, for instance, uh, from a regulatory perspective encourage them to consider hiring an outside HR representative who can give them best practice guidelines for uh, putting their employment agreement on paper, having an an in writing disciplinary action thing, just as an aside. So those threats, those areas of concern are going to look very different based on the vertical of the business that you're talking to. Um, But The two recommended actions, step one, give them a recommended action outside of insurance. And lastly, after you've already made the other points and delivered other value, then you bring in your sales pitch of, hey, based on our conversation, this is an insurance-based solution that my office can provide you an answer for. Um, For instance, um, technological threats. You might want to talk about a cyber liability and data breach policy that gives them sublimit coverage for uh, notifications, fines and penalties, uh, conversation topics in other areas. Maybe uh, EPLI, Employment Practices Liability Insurance, to help them mitigate a potential legal or regulatory threat uh, they face from employment violations of some sort. Uh, maybe it's sexual harassment or wrongful termination. Uh, those kinds of conversations, when you are pairing the insurance product to the threat that it helps the business owner uh, address to minimize and transfer as much of that risk as possible, you're going to be a lot more likely to be successful. So, and that's just the quick tip there of taking these 12 areas that we've been talking about the last seven episodes and applying them to your prospecting efforts. I think you might find yourself very successful there. So, moving back in. So, when we look at our planning our internal threat assessments. If we do this ahead of time and identify the likely areas of concern, we can put plans in place before we ever get to a point where there's an actual problem. And when we talk about the internal challenges, as I said earlier in the episode, there's really three areas. It's going to be one, people, then two, processes, And then three, production. I needed it to be the letter P, so I used production instead of money or revenue or some other word that didn't start with the letter P. So let's just roll with it, shall we? So we're going to look at each of these three areas and give you some typical challenges that you're going to find. So you're going to need to be identifying for your office what does it look like in these areas and how can we address the potential threats ahead of time, because continuity and stability is really important, especially if you are a high volume high speed office. If you're thinking along these lines uh, and you're not really there yet, perhaps you are um, you't don't, you don't have a staff or you have a really small staff, or you haven't really scaled up uh, some of the efforts yet, or you're looking at what your freedom jump may look like. Tuck these things away, get on the list for the emails, and just have these so you can have the conversations when it becomes more relevant. But the typical people challenges, we're just going to jump right in there uh, and, and go in. There's th- There's four areas where you're typically going to have the challenges originating from. No, I I say there's four, and there's typically and whatnot, because as we all know, yes, the the reality is that there is no formula when human beings are involved. Every situation is going to be different, and there could very easily be a huge challenge that is not in this four. So we're just looking at this from a general sense. The first of the four typical people challenges is going to be culture and fit, and this is subjective. It is sometimes difficult to nail down. A lot of times it has to deal with personality and the way that members of your team interact with one another, communication style, conflict resolution style. There are a lot of things that we can do during the interview process to help identify the way that someone is as their baseline, to help identify tendencies about the way that your people are the way that they handle things, personality assessments like Myers-Briggs, like DISC, StrengthsFinder, etc. They can be a really great thing to do at the hiring process, but I also really recommend that you consider doing them on an annual basis or perhaps every other year, just so you have a good um, pulse. Your finger is is on the pulse of your individual team. And it's going to be Much easier for you to identify some potential challenges ahead of time if you know what someone's baseline personality and tendencies are in the context of how they would fit into your larger team. Next is the roles and responsibilities of the individual team members. This is where we come back to the concept of the right people in the right seats if you are being proactive in looking at the roles and responsibilities, if you are following our past suggestions uh, in previous episodes where you are documenting and codifying the actual roles and responsibilities for each member of uh, your org chart, keeping in mind we're talking about roles and not the people filling those roles. Because if we're thinking in terms of people instead of roles, we're going to be more likely to make emotionally based or emotionally influenced decisions. And if we are approaching the roles and responsibilities conversation from the actual job duty and the role itself without applying an individual to that context, we're going to be better able, better equipped to engage in in this conversation. So if you've got it all defined ahead of time, you're going to be able to make uh, better judgments when you get into a situation where someone has a problem with their role or responsibility or uh, they are potentially not the right person in the right seat. Next is compensation and growth potential. Simply put, this is when people get upset about their money, their compensation, when they don't feel like there is alignment between uh, their activity and uh, what they receive for the activity. It could also be that someone feels stuck at their certain level and they don't feel that there is growth opportunities in front of them. This is something that we definitely talk about at RiskWell. Uh, We are very clear uh, everyone has a, a, baseline understanding of the compensation, uh, for me as the business owner and the overall revenue to risk well as a company. Uh, I share profit and loss numbers with my team openly. I don't have any problem at all with them seeing the categories with them, seeing the total revenue and seeing exactly what is spent in the middle between payroll and wages and other, uh, categories of overhead, they know exactly what the profit is at the end of the month, the quarter, the year, etc. So that, as a matter of transparency, enables me to have a lot more useful conversations with my team when it comes to compensation. And as a, a quick little thing, we want to be very, very sure uh, that we are not in any way tying the annual review process to compensation itself the compensation conversation needs to happen independently of the annual review process uh, i up until about 6 months ago i was doing that incorrectly and i was advised by multiple parties including the uh, uh, fractional cfo company that we hired that said unequivocally that's a terrible idea you really want to separate the review from the compensation conversation so if you know ahead of time that compensation and growth potential is likely to be a problem or a conversation at some point it's going to be a lot easier for you to address it uh, proactively and help avoid challenges (laughs) lastly in the people challenge section is going to be simple performance and coaching and this is really going to be something you're going to need to think about uh, having disciplinary procedures laid out in advance where when you are bringing someone on, they know exactly what the disciplinary what we call uh, team member expectations, uh, that's really how we address the whole thing. I don't like the word disciplinary, uh, I think it's more, hey, this is the behavior, this is the attitude that we expect our team to exhibit and i will endeavor to exhibit myself uh, from the top down but sometimes you just have performance issues and you have to be able to address them uh, in a unemotional and uh, equitable way from one person to another it is entirely unfair For someone on your team who you like on a personal, on a subjective level, it is entirely unfair for that person to receive completely different treatment than someone you may not have a subjective affinity for. And this is something we need to be mindful of because aside from it being an ethically problematic thing, it's also just plain Uncool from a personal level. Imagine being on the receiving end of knowing that so and so is the boss's favorite and you're not the boss's favorite. They're going to get leeway where you don't. They might get a bonus that you don't, that has nothing to do with direct tying to performance in some way. Uh, Just be consistent and be equitable, but have it figured out ahead of time. This is what we do at my office, this is the expectation. The code of conduct, if you want to use antiquated language. But also, whatever coaching happens, if there is something that is uh, not meeting expectation and there's a coaching opportunity, that needs to be documented and you need to be following very specific guidelines and be consistent with the coaching refer back to the employee or team member handbook, refer back to disciplinary procedures, uh, to core processes, to roles and responsibilities. All of these things are so much easier if you have put in the work to create the structure, to create the systems and processes as we talked about uh, in previous episodes. So whatever you're doing in that arena, you've just got to be really consistent with it. Moving now into the second of the three internal areas, and we are talking about uh, the process-based challenges. We've already handled people, now it's process. There's three things that we're going to go through pretty quickly, And the first of the three typical process challenges is that you simply don't have your processes and systems clearly defined. You have not taken the time and energy necessary to codify exactly how you want these things to happen in your office. If you don't know how to create these things, if you don't even know where to start, I suggest you get with... An external consultant, uh, get with EOS or any number of business consultants. Uh, There's a thousand different resources online with Google and YouTube, books you can read, uh, etc. There's a lot of different things you can you can engage with to help you create systems and processes, uh, the IAOA group has a lot of resources in the file section of that Facebook group. If you want to look there for templates, uh, for best practice guidelines, uh, I have personally benefited quite a bit from stuff that other colleagues have put in there in the files tab. I've shared several things myself in that same files tab, but whatever you're doing, you have to be documenting exactly what you want to be done. So the processes uh, either don't exist, or secondly, they are not being followed and they're not being enforced. So it doesn't matter if you have something on paper and you say that it's the process. If you're not enforcing, the process. If you're not following the process yourself, then it doesn't matter and it might as well not even exist. So please be consistent about following the processes. If you have created something, you need to be consistent about using it and yourself using it as well or else you'll te- your team is going to figure out pretty quickly uh, that it's not real and you don't actually care. Third is going to be insufficient training and onboarding for the processes. It sounds a little silly to say it this way, but once you have the processes figured out, you have to have very clearly defined systems and processes to help people follow the processes. It's kind of like department of redundancy department. I know, right? But if you are creating a process, you have to have something very simple and laid out to make sure that your team is doing exactly what you want them to do and that they know how to onboard into that process. So training and onboarding resources for the processes are critically important. Lastly, we're going to talk about production-based challenges. Typical challenges is going to be in one of three areas. The first is going to be volume. And the volume is simply that you need more leads, improved sales flow. You need more or better prospecting. This is where our previous conversations about knowing your numbers about being intimately familiar with your sales pipeline is going to help you reap massive benefits. Because if you know your pipeline and you have a drop in volume or you fail to meet a sales target or in some way uh, are, are having a problem with the money side of things on a, a new business uh, or or retention side of things, you're going to be able to diagnose exactly where the problem is if the sales pipeline is something you're intimately familiar with if you have a problem with the number of prospects going into the top of the funnel well then you have several things that you know what to do uh you can you know be more aggressive with uh, your prospecting activities you can attend more events if you're the kind of person and I'm not I don't buy internet leads I I haven't in the last uh 2 years with Riskwell I did before when I was a farmer's agent but it's because I didn't know any better uh, and it's not to say that you can't win by buying internet leads but there's a tremendous amount of infrastructure that is required if you're going to be systematic with your uh, internet leads if you're going to lean on an internet lead uh, being purchased as a meaningful part of your production. So if you can diagnose the problem from your sales pipeline, if you know where the bottleneck is in there, if it is uh, lead or prospect or appointment made or appointment kept or quote delivered or business closed or the 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 net revenue from the business closed where you are getting things in in a profitable fashion. You'll know exactly where to go if you are properly uh, diagnosing the volume. So that speaks back to previous episodes uh, where we talked about knowing your numbers and knowing your sales pipeline. Next is conversion. If you are finding yourself needing better performance within the sales process, converting those leads into prospects, converting those prospects into insureds and then keeping those insureds for a long period of time. If you are needing to increase your conversions, this is where sales coaching and the, the mentoring, the improvement of the, the actual sales uh, activities themselves, of making sure that your team is well-equipped so that they can do three things, ask the right questions and speak the right words at the right time. If you got the right questions, the right words, and the right time, you're almost certainly going to be maximizing your conversion opportunities. Lastly, in the production challenges is cultivation. Cultivation, and what I mean by this is you need to get better at cross-selling, at asking for referrals, asking for Google reviews, developing new channel partners, developing organic inflow, from social media, from local marketing activities, live events, sponsorship of uh, various special interest groups like real estate investors or car clubs, et cetera, et cetera. If you are not cultivating what you need to be cultivating, well then you're going to be going in there and looking at opportunities for improving on those things that we just talked about in that little list. You'll be able to address, The production challenge in the area of cultivation but if you know ahead of time if we've got a problem with cultivation these are the strategies that i'm going to uh, deploy to address the problem if you have a percentage of accounts in your agency are monoline beyond your target number then you know exactly uh, how to address that if you are being intentional about these internal challenges So that's it for the internal section of our episode. The moral section will follow uh, this brief commercial break.
1: Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merged? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude,
0: All right, so here we are now in the moral section of our conversation. This is actually going to be very brief. There's not too much I can say here. Uh, You either have morals, you have ethics, or you don't. And no amount of talking about that can change anything here. So I will simply say, when it comes to the moral side of the conversation, we need to be creating an environment in your office where doing something bad is difficult. We need to be rewarding people, putting the client first and acting in an above board fashion. And it starts with with regard to your team, it really starts before they even get on your team. Because if we are engaging in the hiring process effectively, then we're going to be able to get more of the right people that have the right character the right attitude the right values and it's going to make any questions of moral or ethical behavior a lot less likely to ever even be a thing so the hiring process i would be very very cautious about hiring for skill set or experience these are tangible things that can very easily be taught For the right person, we want to make sure that we are hiring for character, for attitude, for values, for culture and fit. That subjective, intangible quality that you just know it when you see it. And sometimes you can fake culture and fit. Sometimes people interview well and they just stink when they get to your team. There's not really anything you can do about that. You just got to keep going and know that the law of large numbers is going to be your friend if you're doing it the right way. So very quickly, we're going to talk about a couple of best practices for uh, preventing or helping to avoid moral lapses on your team. So the first one is we simply want to be creating redundancy and accountability anytime that there is money involved. No one on your team needs to be uh, handling any kind of money without some sort of system of Accountability or redundancy uh, when it comes to paying invoices, collecting premiums from the insured, anytime uh, some money is. Uh, involved. We want to make sure that we are leveraging reporting, that there's countersigning for accounts payable. If money is being sent out to a third party that that is being authorized or reviewed by at least one other team member, or at the very least that those reports for accounts payable are being reviewed uh, for accuracy no more than once a week uh, by a member of your management team or you, if it's a, a smaller org chart. We want to make sure that we are uh, having our core values reflected in the team member compensation strategy. There is no denying the simple fact that if people feel that they are valued at their office, that they are well compensated for the work that they do, that they are very unlikely to engage in any nefarious or questionable behavior simply because they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to ruin a good thing. So if you're treating them well, if they're happy at work, if they feel well compensated, you're almost never going to have an issue with a bad actor. And the second thing is leading by example. You as the leader of your organization, you really have to avoid even the appearance or the question of possible moral or ethical lapses in judgment. If your team sees you engaging in even questionable behavior, it's going to rock the boat in a lot of ways. It's going to make other things more likely to happen because if it's okay for the boss, then it's okay for everyone else. And lastly, I, I think it's, uh, it's useful to remember Google and their slogans, very popular several years ago. It's simply, don't be evil. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't be evil. Let's be one of the good ones. Let's not be one of the bad ones. So uh, when it comes to the moral side of the conversation, you know, it's just like your grandparents, grandmother, grandfather, whatever, uh, probably said at some point when you were growing up, if you have to ask yourself if an action or a decision is unethical or immoral, it most likely is. And it's kind of like when you're a parent your kids are always watching. So when it comes to these moral questions, when you're a business owner, your team is always watching and they know when something is questionable. So we as leaders have to lead by example. We have to engage our own moral and ethical compass, even more so than the team because they are watching us very closely. And so, That brings us to the end of the moral conversation as well as bringing us to the end of our 12 core areas of threat and concern. Seven episodes are in the books and I'll tell you, next episode, episode eight is a real treat because my wife, uh, the lovely lady that I have the privilege of sharing life with, uh, she will be on the show uh, next week, episode eight. I'm going to be interviewing her about her experience uh, as the wife, the support uh, for someone who made the freedom jump. And she and I will together be dissecting for you exactly what it looks like to make the freedom jump, to sell a captive agency, and to move over to the independent side and start from zero again. We'll talk in a very transparent fashion about some of the challenges that we had professionally and also with our relationship on the personal side of things because the unfortunate reality is there is no separating the two. Business and personal are inextricably linked in this game that we are playing. Your family members are your uh, automatic business partners whether they want to be or not. Your wife or husband, your kids are in this game with you, whether they want to be or not. It is a very family, very personal affair. I think that episode will be very uh, uh, enjoyable, entertaining, and useful for all of us. So be sure to catch episode eight next week, and that really is it for the content of for episode seven. So once again, I will say. Please reach out if there's anything that we can help you with. I personally read every email that you send to podcast at riskwell.com. If you want to get a copy of my episode notes where all the resource links are found, as well as the key action items, go ahead and visit our website at agencyfreedompodcast.com. And you can sign up for our email list there. And you can get those emails automatically sent to your inbox every Friday morning. So my same three requests, I will end the way that I started. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to Agency Freedom Podcast on whatever platform it is that you are listening on. If you also like what you're hearing, please leave a review. Those reviews really help drive traffic. And third and most importantly, please share this podcast. With someone you care about in the captive world as an agency owner or as a someone who's working in a captive office who may want to work in an independent office or launch their own agency. Move from being a captive producer to an independent agency owner. I know a lot of people that have done that and you probably know someone that would be a great candidate for that. So, That really the end of what we've got going on here. Thanks for listening to Episode 7. And please remember, this is the Agency Freedom Podcast. I am your host, James Jenkins. We do all of this thing that we do to help bring you from captive to indie to market domination. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Are you looking for an insurance community to join? Have you heard of the L-A-A-I-A? The Latin American Association for Insurance Agents is just not for Latins. Their focus on diversity and inclusion over the last few years has made this 54-year-old association one of the fastest growing and the most dynamic associations in the industry. With established chapters in Florida, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, and Denver, it's no surprise this association has the attention of everyone in this industry. Their upcoming national convention on beautiful Marco Island includes keynote speaker, Trisha Griffith, the CEO of Progressive. National leaders from around the country like Marshberry, Vertifor, Lula, and more will be here on center stage as well. And whether you're an independent agent, a captive agent, life or health agency, or even a financial services professional, this association offers you everything you need to network and grow your business. Make sure you check them out and consider joining me, Jason Cass, at the next upcoming convention. It's going to be August 21st, the 24th, at the JW Marriott on stunning Marco Island. This has been Cass approved.